Hey everyone, Nick Chamberlain here, and I just wanted to let you know that we are coming out with new episodes very soon. So stay tuned, and you're going to love what we have to offer inside the offer. Hello and welcome to Inside the Offer, a podcast that is dedicated to connecting and bringing life to those who are on a mission to provide for their family by building their own successful business. We believe that the key to standing out in the crowded world of entrepreneurship is having a unique offer that sets your business apart. Whether you're a stay-at-home parent looking to create a side hustle, a recent college graduate with an entrepreneurial spirit, or a seasoned business owner, this podcast is for you. We'll sit down with individuals who have navigated the unique challenges of self-employment to share their stories and insights. We'll uncover the paths that have led them to where they are today and the strategies they use to build and grow their businesses. Don't forget to hit subscribe on your favorite podcast catcher so together we can inspire each other to reach our goals and create a fulfilling future for our families. Let's go. Hey, welcome back, everyone. My name is Nick Chamberlain, and I'm the host of Inside the Offer. And today we have a very special guest. Taylor Hersom. He's the founder of Eden Data, a thriving cybersecurity business that is dedicated to helping startups with their security compliance, data protection, and much more. With a goal to serve 1,000 startups by 2025, Taylor is paving the way to be the go-to source for all of your security needs. In this episode, Taylor shares his story on how he went from being a freelancer on Upwork to a seven-figure business owner in the competitive world of cybersecurity. You'll be inspired by how Taylor has not only built a successful business, but also one that prioritizes the well-being of both himself and his employees. Even if you're not in the cybersecurity industry, I know that you'll gain valuable insight into growing your business and creating a positive culture for your team. So let's get to it. Taylor, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Could you start off by sharing your journey into the cybersecurity industry? Absolutely. So I sold my soul to Deloitte. That's how I got into cybersecurity initially. So I uh, I was recruited out of college, went and worked at Deloitte. They put me in a IT audit role. And for any of the listeners, that's like the most boring job in the world. It's like you're going and being the external auditor and and uh, looking at financial systems. And it's just a, it's a terrible life. But uh, <laughs> then I, I had an opportunity to transition into the cybersecurity department of Deloitte, right when cybersecurity was becoming sexy. And that's how I that's how I got into it. So um, after Deloitte, I actually went and worked as a CISO, a chief information security officer at a consulting firm here in Austin. Can you say the name of that or? Yeah, the name of the company was RSI. Uh, so it was uh, just a boutique firm here in Austin and it allowed me to to not only build security internally, but also focus on, hey, how could we offer security to customers as well? Because it was also a consulting firm of sorts. So it was a, it was a very unique experience, but that really allowed me to, to expand my chops in, in security. Okay, so as a chief security officer, what's your main role as that? Like, what do you exactly do? 
the easiest way to sum it up is you are responsible for all things security for the organization that you work for. So you're designing the security strategy, you're making sure that you're protecting the systems and the data that is being housed in those systems and ensuring employees are protected and and that you're not opening your organization up to, to unneeded risk uh, as it relates to, to data privacy and, and cybersecurity. Wow, that's pretty intense. How do you learn how to do all that? How do you go from an IT audit role to <laughs> figuring out that? Or did you just learn about it like over the years? Did you go to school for this? Or how did you learn about it? Yeah, mostly just Google. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it, it is definitely a, a combination of being in the job function, learning. Deloitte invested a lot of money into uh, the, the training development and then a lot of just real world experience, just uh, being in the weeds on some of these these problems and, and working at different companies. That That's really how I, I gained the experience. And then there's informal, there's certifications and there's, there's informal uh, courses online. So there's a lot of different ways now that you can, you can learn about it in a more formal capacity. Back when I graduated college, it, there wasn't cybersecurity uh, a degree of any sort. It was management information systems. So I didn't get an official degree in cybersecurity. And so you went from there to being chief security officer for RSI. How many years did you do that for? What was the time frame on that? I was at Deloitte for just under five years, and then I was at RSI uh, for under two years. And then that's when I, so I quit my job the week before COVID started. I thought that I knew everything. I thought I had all these <laughs> interviews lined up and then the world went to hell in a handbasket and all my <laughs> interviews dried up. Everything just mm. went to crap. And so I had to figure out how the heck am I going to put food on my table for my family? And uh, I, I just created an, an Upwork profile. So uh, I started on Upwork, uh, Eden Data started on Upwork, but I wanted to share that because a lot of times people are like, oh, I have this amazing vision and, and I've just been thinking about it for years. No way. It started as a necessity and, and, and expanded from there. How did you find your first couple of clients off of Upwork? Uh, essentially on Upwork, people are posting, hey, I have a problem that I need help with. And there was a category for security. And so I started seeing these these startups that were posting, hey, I need help filling out this security questionnaire that I got from a customer, or I need help getting ready for SOC 2, which was a big uh, an audit that's big in the, the SaaS world. And so I would just apply for those. I would set my hourly rate. I would say why I'm better than the competition. And then they would interview me and, and then of course, Upwork takes a, a portion of your proceeds, uh, which makes sense. But this allowed me to essentially test the market, dip my toe in and see, oh my goodness, there are quite a few companies out there that are looking for help and they don't want to go hire a full-time resource. Yeah, that's how I kind of started off also. I started off just trying to do all things audio. And so I did find Fiverr.com and I found Upwork like eventually years later. What did your clientele look like at that point? Like how many clients did you find off of Upwork? And when did you start getting a little busy? So I, I officially kicked off Upwork in, in mm -hmm. March 2020, I believe. And within six months, I was slammed with, um, I, I had probably 15 clients by that point and started realizing, oh my gosh, I'm a little overwhelmed and I need to be able to to uh, expand if I'm going to be, if I'm going to grow this and the quality started diminishing a little bit. So uh, I, I started hiring contractors off of Upwork myself to help fulfill the work. <laughs> okay. Wow. This sounds like a pretty intense industry to get that many clients right away off of Upwork. I'm still trying to understand exactly. I know you said what cybersecurity is, 
But what were some of the things that you were doing for some of your clients? Like the, like the deliverables? Yeah. And I'm sorry, I didn't answer the first part of your previous question, which was what kind of clients were you serving? And it, and it was mostly startups. It was like, I have a SaaS application that I sell to another business. That's, that's typically what our demographic was or, or my demographic at that time. And so the types of services really boiled down to, hey, I need to go get through a, a what's called a SOC 2 audit. And that was their way of getting a third party validation to say, hey, look, we have our security act together. You should buy our service. We're going to protect your data. So I, I would get hired by those customers to say, help us get ready for that SOC 2 so we can get that that report in hand and give it to our customers. And then also there were a lot of my customers, customers asking them, hey, what do you do for these 50 different security domain areas? They would send them a spreadsheet of all these very complicated questions and say, what are you doing to encrypt my data? How are you managing access? Like you have all these questions and they were overwhelmed. These are like brilliant founders that don't have time for that crap. And so they were wanting to outsource that. And that's how I started. Wow, that's pretty intense. (laughs) You found like a good little niche to get into and... It sounds like there's a lot of work in this, especially with everything that's going on in technology and just it's getting more and more intense. And when I think about cybersecurity, uh, I mean, think about it as like maybe like another country trying to attack us like through the Internet or like trying to hack in. The only thing I know about cybersecurity are like firewalls and like <laughs> ad pop up blockers and just like blocking ads. I don't know. Is there any like way you can break it down a little more like in like layman's term of like someone who doesn't know too much about it or just like someone like me who's just completely ignorant in the whole area of cybersecurity? Of course. Yeah. So essentially cybersecurity, the point of it is to to be building protections to against risk. So risk could be anything. It could be a nefarious kid in a hoodie in their mom's basement that's just playing around on the internet and, and inadvertently commandeers your application. You could have nation state hacks. Like we've got a lot of issues these days with, uh, with nation state sponsored hacking organizations that, that, uh, that will, will complicate, uh, complicate people's lives. And they, they will, they're, they're attacks that are being issued from Russia because they're trying to fund their, their war against Ukraine. You've got those kinds of risks. And then you've got risks like your application breaking because you didn't configure it appropriately. You've got issues with, oh, I'm not actually treating this data correctly. And now I am uh, breaking a law and therefore I'm going to get fined. Like that's a risk. Like you've got all these different risks that a company has to deal with when they're collecting data. And so we help build strategy around how to address all of those risks. But hopefully that summarizes it, Nick, in in a more succinct manner. But Cybersecurity, the word and the the industry is so broad because there's so many different risks that can impact you. I have no worries for you for having more clients, you know, for the for like the rest of your life. Like you sound like pretty set. So that sounds like a really good industry to be in nowadays. So I mean, that's awesome, Taylor. So I want to know a little more about when you're starting off doing your kind of your freelance cybersecurity work on Upwork, was it just hourly rate or how were you charging clients at that point? It was mostly hourly. I was tracking my hours in Upwork and and uh, and just sending those across the customer every week. And then I started to go towards a, a more retainer style model where they would just pay me a flat fee every month to maintain their security and, and be available to them. Okay. 
How do you determine the price point on that? Is it based on how much you're getting paid at previous jobs or just like kind of like your living expenses? Or did you look into the marketplace of like how much people are getting paid in this industry? Thankfully, on Upwork, you can compare and it gives you a little bit of insight into what the high and the low bids were for uh, for jobs. And then they would also put in a budget oftentimes. So they would say, I'm looking for an expert and I'm willing to pay up to $200 an hour, or I'm looking for an intermediately experienced person and I'm only willing to pay $100 an hour. And so you'd go off of that. It was that coupled with market research. Uh, but other other than that, it's kind of like, I, I think people are perpetually making that number up and it's it's more on how you can sell your value more than anything. So I certainly had a lot of trial and error. Okay, yeah, no, that makes sense. How do you go from doing Upwork freelance work to creating Eden data? So it itself was an accident. I didn't expect that it was going to be a whole organization. It was more that I was getting more business than I could handle. And so I had this inflection point where I decided, do I want to just keep doing freelancing and, and pay myself? And I asked myself twice a week, why didn't just stay on that? You know, when you're running a company, it's like way more complicated than just being a freelancer. But I I had this vision that I wanted to to expand out in the startup market. So I started hiring contractors to outsource the work to, and then realized that I, I needed to, I was making enough money at that point to where I was ready to explore. How do I become an actual company? How do I become an employee myself? I was employee number one. And that's when we, we, we kicked that off January 1st, 2021. So it took a full nine months of, of trial and error of me doing freelancing, making the connections, getting a few people on the team, that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, by that time we were making, we were making healthy six figures. So it was like, a, I got to turn this into a company or I'm going to pay out the wazoo in taxes and mm-hmm. fees and Upwork and all that. Did you have any kind of like knowledge or understanding of like how to run or start a business or it just kind of went from freelancing and you just created some systems and procedures and also just kind of wondering, like, who taught you how to do this or who were some of your mentors or where did you learn how to do this? So this one I can say with a straight face, it's mostly Googling. I, I'm a first time founder and had no idea what I was doing. I, I definitely just forced myself to figure it out. It was perpetual trial and error. I, I had mm-hmm. solid mentors from parents to family friends to a couple business leaders, uh, even people I worked with at Deloitte that would give me guidance, but I was kind of in uncharted territory in in terms of the specific niche I was in because I was building a consulting firm geared towards startups. And I had never worked with startups in my life. I didn't know anything about AWS. I didn't know anything about Google Cloud and cloud uh, strategy. I was I was used to, to huge organizations, Fortune 50, And uh, so it it was a lot of teaching myself. It was a lot of figuring out. Thankfully, I've had the the entrepreneur drive for a long time. And I've always been what I call myself a wantrepreneur. And and I was that way for years. And I read a bazillion books and I would reference things that I learned along the way. So that better prepared me. But I certainly think most of it was just try it. Does it work? If not, try something else. That's I know that's such a cheesy answer, but you can find so much stuff on the internet these days. I feel like I learned everything just from, you know, just getting into it and starting to actually do it. And then I started listening to some podcasts and then they were recommending books and I started reading some business books. And that's when I was like, oh, you can actually try to create a business around your life and create a business that works for you and not 
you know, you don't have to be working for it, if, if that makes sense. So you kind of can create your life around this, this whole thing called a business. And I was like, wow, people have been doing this like for years. And it's just so weird. You're on just going, coming from like, just being an employee, being told what to do and how to do it. And then eventually that you're on the other side where it's like, you're creating this business and this opportunity for other people to be a part of. And there's kind of no rules and there's some regulations, you know, like from the government and whatnot, but it's just really this thing that you can just build on your own. And it's crazy. <laughs> it is. It's motivating. I think it's easier than ever to start a company. I think people are so enamored by, oh, I have to be a, a company that goes and raises a lot of money and has a lot of publicity out of the gates. And and no, the, the margin is actually in the small business space. Uh, you, you can make a ton of money just being a consultant or a freelancer and being a one, one man or woman shop. Like People, I think, have a misconception a lot of times about entrepreneurship in general. Yeah, it's like something that I'm learning about also. It's like right now I have about 12 clients and then, you know, about maybe seven or eight of them are like grandfathered in into this like ridiculous pricing point where it's like my hourly rate and probably like seven to ten dollars an hour. <laughs> and like you don't know about that until like you go through the entire process and you, then you come up with systems exactly. and procedures and then you actually start tracking your hours and you're like, OK, well, it looks like I might need to raise the rates. And then there's like no limit because eventually, you know, let's say I have 30 to 40, you know, clients. And then at that point, like I can't handle that. Then you just build a team and then you just have more and more clients coming in, which I kind of would love to know kind of like what's your client acquisition strategies? Like how do you get yourself known out there and how do you acquire new clients? Ooh, this could be a long-winded answer. I'll try to keep it succinct. But I think that the the first thing that we've really invested in is brand, like trying to so, see how can we stand out knowing that we're a consulting firm. I would be an idiot to say that we invented consulting around cybersecurity because we didn't. Nobody, there's, from a consulting standpoint, it's very hard to stand out, right? Because uh, it's all the same kind of work. You've got a lot of the same experience at, at consulting firms. So I figured out ways that we could stand out and I, the, I started by looking at competitors and seeing these boring websites with <laughs> Adobe stock images of of some dude in a business suit holding a digital globe, like all that stuff was so <laughs> stupid. And so it was like, well, I can make the brand flashier. And so as you can see the neon sign above my oh, yeah. shoulder, we would, we, we really went in and invested in, in being bright and, and another component of the strategy was let's not go the, the fear, uncertainty, doubt route and, and try to scare people into to hiring us, but rather sell them on the positive aspects of investing in security. So making the brand stand out was one big thing that we, we did. And uh, another component of all of this was just building my personal brand. So making sure that I'm putting out content, that I am going and networking, that I am making mm. relationships. And it is incredible to see how that pays dividends. I think people are so impatient these days that they set, they, they want to see instant return, instant gratification. And we are now signing customers that I pitched to two years ago. Because, and, and I never would have expected, we, we, I didn't have my stuff together and, or they weren't ready to sign back then, but they remembered that brand. They remembered that pitch. They remembered that relationship and they would come back or people would see my LinkedIn posts and they used to work at Deloitte with me, but that now they work at a startup and they need security. Like we've had so many cool stories like that. So investing in that brand early on, knowing that it's not going to pay off today or 
tomorrow or a month from now that it could be uh, a year or two in the making. I, th I think that that was a, another important component of what we did. No, I think that's very important, especially nowadays where we just get instant gratification instantly, you know, and if you just need a quick dopamine boost, you just like TikTok or like Instagram, whatnot, you just scroll through. And then it is really hard too, especially as people starting their own business or freelancers. It's like, well, I know all these other people who are six figures right away. They started it in, you know, six months or you, you listen to these, I mean, maybe not you, but me, like online business gurus who are able to like, they share their systems and how they do everything. And it's like, you can do this today. Just sign up for my course for only nineteen ninety seven, And then you're going to be a, a six figure earner in, in less than a year. That's good to know that it does take time and some work. So building your personal brand, what were some kind of your strategies with that? You said you were doing some online content. What was involved with that? So building up LinkedIn, building up Twitter, like going and putting out content and not expecting that, oh, I don't have 50,000 followers. That's okay. Like just putting in the grind of, of putting out content, um, writing blog posts. Um, I was doing a lot of that. And, and today... Now we've gotten to the point where I have a PR team and they help me push out on a broader scale. So continuing to invest in that brand recognition and that brand building. And then I think that there's a degree of brand building just in you going out and networking. So I was going to startup events. I was going and connecting with other founders and that played a, a huge part in our success as well. Yeah, that's what I've been noticing also just like kind of in my world is you know, I, I came from a bubble. I was, <laughs> I was a audio engineer, radio engineer at, um, in San Diego for seven years. And then we eventually got out of San Diego and moved to Austin. You know, I haven't been in the, the real world, honestly. I've just been <laughs> like in this um, nonprofit organization, just making the things happen. And they had large followings. But then when I came out here, I was like, I have no idea how to put myself out here in the real world. And um, someone told me, just go to like a Chamber of Commerce event. And so I went to a Round Rock Chamber of Commerce event. And I was pretty much like the youngest person by like 15 or 20 years. And they're like, so what do you do? I was like, I would imagine. I help people launch podcasts. I'm like, okay, what's that? What, what do you mean? I was like, uh, you know, podcasts. I help people launch. <laughs> and so I didn't have like a really good like sales pitch back then it was just hard to explain to people like what i do that's hilarious i love that hustle though <laughs> and so what i'm doing right now is also networking just connecting with people and also learning about the different industries there's so many different industries out there that i'm just completely ignorant about like one you know cybersecurity, and then now there's what i i'm listening to other podcasts like you know financial tech health tech then there's media and then there's well, I'm only from like radio. So I just like, well, there's radio, right? There's radio and podcasting and television and movies. Um, So now I'm also trying to start up doing my uh, content marketing strategies. It is hard, man. I don't know how you do that just to be <laughs> constantly like come up with like an idea once a day. Awful. But I'm also, <laughs> the more I do it, the more I realize like, okay, you can, can only be putting out content that's actually going to be helpful to people or else it's just going to be like noise because there's so much noise out there. So that's what I'm also trying to do with this podcast is hopefully get some 
good advice, golden nuggets from the people I'm interviewing and hopefully people who are listening, maybe just starting off or maybe a few years before me or just someone who wants to figure out how to take care of their family with freelancing, moving to starting their own business, then, you know, listening to people with you, like you, with your stories that um, are trying to hopefully help each other out. And then hopefully maybe if like a startup is listening to this podcast at some point, they're like, man, I need, I need cybersecurity. And they go to EdenData.com. Then I would love to be able to, you know, hire you for your services because like my business is crazy. We need cybersecurity. <laughs> Come help us out, Taylor. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that's a that's a good problem to have at that point. That means that means growth. Yeah. That means if, I think that's how people need to look at it. If you're getting pestered by customers that, for your security posture and what compliance standards you align with and all that, that's not a bad thing. That means that your company is growing and that you're getting attention. Uh, of course, I'm biased because I'm a big security nerd, but. Uh, that's a, that's a very good point on your part, Nick. So Taylor, I would love to dive a little bit into now your, your business and you kind of your personal services that you offer for clients. So I'm looking at your website. It, it does look great. It's very, it's completely different from other cybersecurity consultants or businesses website. So I, I do love this website and you have right now I'm seeing three different kind of plans you can choose from. Can you briefly go over those and what you offer in each of those plans? Absolutely. So this ties back to my previous point, which is that how can you stand out from another consulting firm? Anyone can spin up a consulting firm. How do we differentiate? And so I took a lot of what I learned from my Deloitte days, which is that there are a fair amount of people out there that inherently hate the hourly model. So how can we make that easy? The The issue is that hourly is unpredictable it's it's usually you're you're incentivized to take longer because the the firm makes more money when you do that. So uh, we put everything into a subscription style service and limited it to those three packages that you're you're talking about. And it's essentially the packages reflect where the customer is at in their security journey. So the smaller one is, of course, for the the early stage startups that are just looking to get off the ground, whereas the larger the middle and, and larger packages are, Hey, I need, I need someone to take over security. I need, I need multiple team members here that can help me with security and compliance and maybe data privacy as well. And so um, that's how it's designed on our, on our, uh, for, in terms of our service model. Do you know how many customers you have in each plan right now? I don't know off the top of my head. We are, um, we're well north of 50 customers at this point, just under a hundred. I'd have to go back and look at the exact count, but uh, oh, they're nice. spread out in all three. So we've got, yeah, we've got quite a few customers these days. Uh, and I would say that it's pretty evenly split mm -hmm. between those three packages. And yeah. That's awesome. I'm just, I'm just like looking at your top packet. And I was like, man, if I can get two clients, like, that price point then it's like i can provide for my family 100 <laughs> percent. it's just kind of crazy absolutely but you're providing more than just your family how many people on your team taylor so the team itself between employees and contractors is up to 25 now um 25 so, dang yeah we've got a lot um and then in terms of full-time employees I believe we just surpassed either 14 or 15. We just had two except in the last week. So we're, we're growing. We're adding about one to two new employees a month at this point. Wow, Taylor. I'm impressed. <laughs> that's super, that's super awesome. Who was like your first full time hire? Was it a contract worker or was it like a friend or how did you get your first full time person? What role did they play in your business? It was a friend actually. So I was introduced to somebody that also came from Deloitte and through a mutual friend and 
he was at a point where he could help and and get this started and so we we just kind of put our heads together and we were the only ones delivering client work and uh he was he was employee number two and then we had someone that came in as operations as well that i had met through an entrepreneur group and a lot of learning lessons along the way through that process as well because we were trying to figure out how to start a company but it was all coming from my network and and what i had built on upwork and we were trying to transition that and and then also to establish roles and responsibilities like all of that stuff we were making up as we went along but i definitely have to give kudos to the to the first employees because going and joining a startup when there's 20 30 employees like that's easy that's that's a that's obviously the company's doing well and it shows that there's a lot of growth potential not saying they're not volatile but mm-hmm. when you're trying to convince someone to be the second or third or fourth employee that's a whole different ball game yeah i'm just like wondering how do you even get to that point i feel like it moved so quickly for you from 2020 to 2021 to now 2022 with that many people it's it was crazy it was crazy any advice on how to find that number two, the first hire? That's a really good question. I think that first of all, being very particular about your 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 right hand person, knowing that this is someone that can't just I, I think that there are certain situations where you can just hire someone to fulfill a, a job responsibility and nothing else. That but most of the time it's gonna be someone you need to be in the trenches with you. And so calling on your network, like people you've met in the past is is the first place i would start and then after that i think it, it's a matter of i think it's very easy to put out job postings you can create a free job posting on indeed you can put out stuff on linkedin and start to find those scrappy people yeah um but the i will say in full transparency those first in if you don't have someone in your corner already you got to do a lot of interviews and you got to do a lot of soul searching with with these various uh, folks that you you meet because you have to be so particular and you're trying to convince someone when you're making very little money and probably can't pay them a lot to come and take a chance on you. So I would certainly say that be willing to sell your soul to a degree in the beginning of meaning taking on more work than you can handle, knowing that if you inflate your numbers and can make a lot of money before you convince someone to come over, that it's a much easier sell. If you can say, hey, I've already built this up and I'm managing $30,000 a month, let's say, someone's going to see that and say, oh my gosh, I could be managing $30,000 a month and make a six-figure income and, and you sell that vision. It's a lot better than, hey, I swear this is going to be a great company, but right now we make a hundred bucks a month. Like you want to, you want to make sure that you've done proof of concept and that you've lined up customers because you're really selling that person on coming and taking a chance on you. We only have a finite amount of time in life and, and we can only have so many careers and jobs. Like you're convincing someone to take out time from their life and a a moment in time to, to uh, devote to your brand. And that's, that's a hard sell when, when you don't have a lot of, uh, resources backing you up no i really like that no that that helps did were you paying them hourly or salary how did you offer the first couple of people's payments contractors were hourly and then it quickly went to salary uh because we transitioned everything to retainer model so it was a little easier for us to predict our costs and therefore pay salaries accordingly oh yeah once i started implementing a monthly retainer in my business I've been able to actually start tracking income and predicting where I'll be at in the next quarter. So that has been super helpful. 
Now, I would love to get your thoughts on what you think about work-life balance and designing a business around your life and how your business will fit into your life rather than your life fitting into your business. All right. I think uh, that term gets used so much. And, and to all the entrepreneurs out there, I think the important message, I'm, I'm completely biased, but finding something that you love to do uh, is, is quite important because there is no work-life balance when you're starting a company. If you find a your company is going to be limited if you are saying, I want something that I only work on for 10 hours a week perpetually. Like, yeah, I, they're great. There's, there's definitely people that have done it, but the majority of the time you're going to have to hustle on the front end to get the pay on the back end. But I will say that I am a prime example of your life can change drastically in a very short period of time. Eden data has been around for 20 months now. Mm. And we're at the size that we're at. I was making five figures when I was in, you know, just working as a, as a CISO and to be a, a firm that makes millions of dollars a year, like to be able to do that in a short period of time, like that happens because like, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, that is a, a possibility for anybody. And people need to recognize that. Like we are all so enamored by wanting things to happen instantly because of what you mentioned earlier, Nick, with social media and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But uh, your life can change pretty quickly. But it looks like you're in an industry where people highly value what you do. And what you do is fairly expensive in the terms of like a service-based offering, right? That's fair. Absolutely. So I'm just saying, that, that's another thing. I'm like, that's a good industry <laughs> to be in. It's like, how do you pick which industry to go into when you're trying to like figure out what <laughs> industry you should go into. I guess it kind of starts off with, I don't know, like with your parents and what they teach you and like kind of like what your natural gifts and abilities are. For me, my thing was, my parents were like, what do you like to do? And I was like, I like to play the drums. And they're like, okay, we'll do that. So that was like my career path was to be a drummer, right? So I went all the way through high school as a drummer. I was in drumline and then in in college, it was, okay, what do you do now as a drummer? Well, you go to the school of music. Okay, great. And then they train you to be a band director playing the symphony orchestra. Now at this point, you're like, wait, I've gone through my whole life and now I'm just, I have to be a band director playing the symphony orchestra. Those are my only two options. And I was like, I don't think I want to do that. <laughs> and so that's what led me to become, you know, I got out of that program into the sound recording technology program at Texas State, where then I became an audio engineer, right? And then I graduated. I went through a four-year program in two and a half years, and then I graduated college. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, okay, so I've been a drummer my whole life, and now I'm an audio engineer, a professional degreed audio engineer. I have to become, <laughs> I have to go out there in the real world and like start making, you know, get a job as a professional audio engineer. I guess where I'm going with this is you can always use what you have, you know, and just continue to build on top of those skills that you've developed. You never have to like quickly change paths. And even if you do change paths, you still have all those skills and talents that you've developed over the years, which kind of has led me to where I'm at today, you know? So going from drummer to percussionist to audio engineer, from audio engineer to radio engineer, now radio engineer to podcast producer, podcast engineer, because now I have, you know, all that musical background. Now I'm a podcast producer, but now I'm also starting a business. So I guess for me, it's like, what would be the best business to start? Well, I guess it'd be something that has to do with audio and music related and what has to in radio since I was in that for seven years. And kind of like podcasting is like the perfect fit. 
and then you get to a certain industry and you just got to keep going with that industry. For now, for you, it's you got into uh, tech and the cybersecurity and you're just going with the cybersecurity, even though yours might be at a higher price point right now and you'll be making millions of dollars for your business like with revenue. Even though I might not be making millions of dollars at this point, it's always like there's always that next level, that next step to get to. I don't know what it looks like for me, but I would love to know kind of where are you going with um, Eden data? Like kind of what's like your five to 10 year plan if you have one? Because right now you, you're just in a couple of years. It's like, where, where do you, and you're doing very well. You're very successful. Like, I think that's amazing, Taylor. Um, I don't know. Do you have any future vision plans for you and your business company? Absolutely. Uh, so really what I want to accomplish is is being the, the, the big four, the Deloitte in the startup world. So the big four, Deloitte, KPMG, EY, PwC, they they have such a great brand. They've been around for almost 100 years. Everybody knows who those consultant firms are. And when they have a problem and it, when they want to get audited or they want to uh, get some niche consulting problem addressed, they hire them. And so I want to be that for the startup industry. I want Eden Data to be a name brand in the startup community because I have such a passion for entrepreneurism and I have such a passion for the idea that startups are quite literally changing the world. They are they are mm. working on things that are way cooler than the average corporation, right? Mm-hmm. And they are mm-hmm. going for their moonshot left and right. So to be able to help them get that and be able to help them change the world that is a huge passion. Um, and so protecting their, their IP, protecting their customers along the way, like doing those things is, is something that I want to accomplish. So that's the, that's the vision. We'd like to serve a thousand startups by 2025. And, and that's what we're shooting for. Wow. That's awesome. That's amazing. Okay. I, I kind of want to go back to designing your business around your life. I, we talked about it for a second, but we didn't like dive into it too much. How are you designing your life around your business and how is your business like being designed around your employees' lives? I think some of the easy ones are that we are a COVID-born uh, company and therefore that, uh, that gave us some opportunities that, that allowed us to, to be a different company and not be judged for it. And what I mean by that is we're a completely remote organization. We accepted that from the beginning. We never had an office that we had to leave and shift our business model. Our customers that were hiring us never expected us to fly in and physically see them because it was COVID and no one wants to see anybody in person. And so those things really helped us. Um, that works for me. I get to work from home every day. Mm. And then I established that precedence for my employees. So now I've got employees and I can't remember how many states now. We're, we're in double-digit states at this point in every area code. And that is so cool wow. because it just means that I was able to expand out the people that, that would uh, normally not have an opportunity if you were only hiring local. And we are now national and we've got employees that are global. Like It's, it's pretty darn cool to, to have that kind of uh, mm-hmm. opportunity. It, it just levels the playing field for us a little bit more. And then I think beyond that, it's incorporating what would I myself want to see in terms of culture and and work-life balance and all those fun things when I'm working at a company. And I kind of, I set those things for myself and then just pass it along to my employees. What I mean by that is I don't want to charge hours and have someone track my hours and what I'm doing at every minute of every day. So I don't do that for my employees. Like I want to be able to go on vacation or clear out early to go see someone's soccer game or to go, you know, 
piece out early for the weekend and like all these little things um, that we incorporate for our employees. And then beyond that, like how can I take care of my employees into their futures as well? So we do like 401k matching, we pay a hundred percent of their health insurance. Like there's those ancillary benefits that I would want to see for myself. How can I financially set someone up for success? Like those are things that we've incorporated as well along the way to, to really, uh, embrace that work-life balance and designing of life like you mentioned yeah i mean how powerful is that to be able to create something from scratch and then now you're able to pay people a living wage with health insurance and like you're providing people's livelihood with something you created it's a it's a very powerful feeling to be able to create jobs and to have people on the team that are getting married and buying houses and traveling the world and, and being able to know that you support that. Like that's a really, really fulfilling feeling that I encourage everyone to try to pursue. Yeah. That's something you don't learn about too much growing up. So yeah, that's <laughs> like, that's like super intense. Like just thinking about it, just like, wow, I could create something from scratch. And now it's like, I'm providing for my family. You know, my wife doesn't have to go slave away at work anymore. She can be home with the kids. You know, I can hire other people, you know, provide for their living. And that's just what's awesome about creating your own business. You're just building up the economy and you're helping other people out and you're providing a service. So I, I just think that's uh, amazing what you're doing, Taylor, and everything that you have done. I appreciate that a lot, Nick. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I encourage everybody to, to try to design their life in the, the way they, see fit but i think that it's the the important message is making money is cool mm-hmm. but i think it's like uh it's like the concept of giving christmas gifts versus receiving they say that giving a christmas gift and seeing someone's seeing someone's reaction is so much more fulfilling than even receiving a gift i wholeheartedly agree with that that statement and and that is what essentially creating jobs and creating um wealth for others and and creating fulfillment for others uh, that's that's the same experience like it's such a good feeling it is so much more of a motivator too it's why i work hard it's why i uh am am determined to build up eden data into a big company because of the people that are taking time out of their lives to come and work at eden data dude i love it that's awesome and i want to wish you the best of luck in your business and of course i want to thank you so much for joining me today on inside the offer is there anywhere you would like to send people to connect and to learn more about you and Eden Data? I think LinkedIn and Twitter are the the best places. Taylor Hersom, H-E-R-S-O-M as in Mary. Um, just please ping me. I'm, I'm always available uh, via LinkedIn and Twitter. Okay, perfect. And of course, I will put all that information in the show notes. Thank you so much, Taylor. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Thank you for the opportunity, Nick. Okay, wow, that conversation gave me hope and the power to just keep going and sticking with it. But also, it gave me a different perspective on life and business. It never really dawned on me just how powerful starting a business can be, especially in the terms of providing not only for your own family, but for other people, for your employees, and for their family as well. How powerful is that? I had a lot of key takeaways from this episode, but I think one that was overlooked is the importance of knowing your industry and knowing the value of your industry and the potential for it, even like before you get into it. 
or just to be able to think about, okay, where is this industry going to be in the next five to 10 years? So if you are just starting off as a freelancer, you can log into a service such as Upwork. And if you're noticing people are paying top dollar for your service, or if there is an abundance of job postings, then I think you might be onto something. And look at the industry trends. Look to see how the market is doing. Is it growing? Is it plateauing? Is it dying? So I would look into that before you really dive into a specific industry. Another thing that I forgot to mention is Taylor's pricing guideline on his website. If you're thinking about starting a monthly retainer as a consultant or a service-based industry, I think this is going to be a great resource for you. And you can find that by going to insidetheoffer.com forward slash four to get to this episode show notes where I put all the links. Also, I'd love to know what your key takeaways were from this episode. What moments stood out to you? Let me know by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or by sending me a message at insidetheoffer.com. Also, make sure you continue to listen and subscribe to this podcast as I continue to build out our community and try to figure out where it would be the best place for us to gather. I mean, I would love to know. Feel free to reach out. Is that going to be a Facebook group? Is that going to be a LinkedIn page? Is that going to be on a third-party platform? I don't know. You let me know. Give me some thoughts and some ideas. I would love to hear from you all. Because I think it would be a great way for us to gather and to chat about these episodes and to chat about our businesses and to help each other grow and problem solve. I think it'd be great. Okay, so in the next episode of Inside the Offer, we're going to be talking with Brad Indress. He's a business consultant for nonprofits. We're going to go behind the scenes and learn how he runs his consultant agency for nonprofits. So stay tuned and thank you so much for joining me. Peace out. Hey everyone, Nick Chamberlain here, and I just wanted to let you know that we are coming out with new episodes very soon. So stay tuned, and you're going to love what we have to offer inside the offer.